you remember at the start of the last episode we we discussed that uh, what, what have we learned from F one testing? And you said, uh, we've as usual we've learned nothing. Uh, I said that we learned how good the cars look, and that's about it. That's true, actually. You did, and I think you're right again. I think that's all we've learned in this. And even then, it's probably not that because we've not actually seen that much track action because it wasn't televised. But I'm looking at the times, and it's a bit kind of ridiculous because the amount of laps that Porsche have racked up is quite impressive. I think Porsche, Ferrari, and Toyota hit almost 300 laps per car, which is kind of mad. And if you consider there's, what, six Porsches in this? Five Porsches? Two Jotas, two Factory, and one Proton right now? So that's yeah. that's a lot of laps for Porsche. And they end up top. Ferrari and Cadillac kind of hovering around there as well. That looks pretty tight. But I think it was kind of what I find a bit weird or interesting and good, I suppose, is we've got privateer cars splitting factory cars. So the number five Porsche is fastest, but between the number five and number six Porsche, both the 12 and 38 Jotas are sitting in there. And similar with the Ferrari, there's like the 50 and the 51, not that far apart, but the 83 is sitting between them. It does seem like the the privateers are are not as far off the factories as kind of what you'd expect, really. Yeah, I mean, is, is that the, the balance of performance working, that they're reaching the limits of these cars already? Or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk last year about how well Jota and um, Proton seem to run the Porsches versus Penske, who developed the car themselves. Is that just a continuation of that, effectively? Yeah. The, the other thing that's quite interesting to see is the Cadillac sitting second, because they've been a little bit anonymous over in WEC, really, compared to IMSA, where they just turn up and dominate entire events sometimes. And like it's featured in WEC, but never really to the level that you see it in IMSA. And right now it's sitting second in the times. No, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, they were pretty strong at Le Mans. Um, yeah, and they've got, you say the Porsche have racked up the the, uh, the laps, but like you say, Cadillac have been quite strong in IMSA. They've been racking up laps over there. They know the cars. I mean, the, the only real difference between IMSA and WEC is, is the wiring looms between the cars and a little bit of BOP. So it, it, it's all going to help them, I imagine. Yeah, and and right behind all that, so after the the factory Porsche there, but, but ahead of the Proton Porsche is the two Peugeots pretty uh, tied together there. It's kind of like an ideal circuit for this car's last hurrah without the wing, isn't it? It's like billiard table smooth, all kind of medium speed corners. It's kind of just right for this car. We're not, it's kind of a shame we're never going to see it again. I do like it because it's different, but... This is kind of their best case scenario outside of Le Mans, I suppose. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Grand Fett was only ever really going to work on billiard smooth tracks. Um, obviously, I think it's been designed for Le Mans, that car. They don't need the, um, the downforce down the Mulsanne straight. So the, the lack of drag from a rear wing really helps them there. And then when they do need the, uh, the downforce and the twisters, it's, it, that's permanent racetrack, the Porsche curves down to Tetra Rouge. So. Yeah, I think that car was designed for Le Mans, um, but I think they realised that they're probably taking that to the limit of what it can do, I might say. Expect that to have a rear wing at the next round. I, I don't I, really I'm gl- know. I am glad they've kept that livery, though. I will say that. I didn't like it when it came out, but this art livery has really grown on me. Um, so, yeah, as much as I do like their grey and um, grello highlighted factory livery, I think this one really works on that car. It's kind of funny that we're going to set a theme here that every episode we're going to disagree on what a good livery is because I don't <laughs> like that livery and I was hoping they would go back to the grey, but here we are. 
I think the one that's the things that I'm surprised at, but I shouldn't be surprised at because it's completely logical. Is the BMW kind of bringing up like the traditional factories there because they're kind of we'll come to Toyota later on. There's something going on there. Like BMW behind all the Porsches. I know that it's WRT's first time running it, but the car's not that new, and WRT are very competent. So I'm a little bit surprised they're behind, but then I'm more surprised at how far back the Alpine and the Lamborghini is. I shouldn't be because they're brand new, they're right at the box. But I feel like Alpine have been. I feel like the Alpine's actually been around a lot longer than it has been because they've been teasing it for about four years, and now it's finally here in its final form. So I kind of I don't know if. It doesn't feel as new in my head as what it actually is. So it's kind of logical that it's back there, but it doesn't feel like it should be back there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Those programs have been, what, at least 18 months, 24 months in the making. So I feel like we've heard a lot about them. We've seen a lot about them already. So like I say, it's uh, it's quite surprising. But yeah, benefit of doubt. BMW, they've not been that great in IMSA either, have they, really? Um, didn't have a great Daytona from memory. Um, so I don't know if that's a fundamental issue with that car or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I am surprised to see them so far behind as well. Yeah, I think there was a lot of people waiting to see what WRT would actually do with that car and find out if this was a, if this was a team issue or a car issue. And it's beginning to look like it might be a car issue, to be honest. We should talk about Toyota because until about 10 minutes ago i was going to say toyota are nowhere and i don't trust that at all they're going to turn up and be right at the front but then just before recording i was reading an article on sports car 365 where it's uh, kamubi kobayashi butchered his name there kamubi kobayashi saying that they are actually nowhere they are suffering really badly from graining uh, in the medium speed corners which this entire circuit is the really abrasive circuit is not helping them they think it might be might be related to the BOP and the additional weight. He thinks they're actually going to struggle to get points, which is a hell of a statement from Toyota, given that they dominated last year, won every race apart from Lamar, and now they're sitting saying they might not even get points. I'm not totally sure I believe that. There might be a little bit of playing the BOP game there. Like We're going to see that a lot this year, aren't we? But it's not looking promising for the reigning champions. Again, yeah, pinch of salt. I mean, we know this this track is aggressive on tyres. We saw that with the F1 race last year where they actually had to mandate the pit stops due to the, the tyre issues they were having um, in, in the extreme heat there. Um, but yeah, it's an endurance race. Uh, what it is, it's 18, 12 kilometres, 10 hours. The speed's only half to battle, Toyota, Gazoo race, and they're a slick team, they're a well-run team. We know that if that car's reliable and it probably will be, they will run from start to finish with no issues, and that can be what will win them the race, regardless of the pace on that one. Yeah, I think when you're you're looking at it, it's like you can't discount Toyota, obviously. like You just can't. Porsche are looking very, very strong, but that they always seem to have these little niggles. Like back at Daytona, we've seen the, the power issues that they were having with it, going over the prescribed power bands and stuff like that and getting penalties. I think we've seen that last year in WEC at random points as well. I think it might have actually been for different but similar kind of infractions as well. So you can't discount Porsche, but they never seem to run as smoothly as the others. The Cadillac sitting second, I find quite interesting. Like that car's looking particularly strong here. And I was listening to the Sports Car 365 podcast where they were saying that the car went into the shipping container like it was something like the 12th of January. 
So that car's been on the road since then, which meant there was there was updates to that car rolled out for Daytona, but this car was already on the shipping container on the way. So when it got to Qatar, they had to then apply the new update that came over, presumably by uh, aircraft rather than shipping container at that point. So th- even though it's an old car, it's kind of not. There's been updates done to it, and it's sitting running second. There's probably still time left in that. I think we might be looking at the first time where a Cadillac could score really, really well in WEC. Yeah, and I think to boot, they've got one of the stronger lineups in Hypercar as well with Bamba, Lynn and Bordet. Um, very experienced, very fast. Um, so yeah, that could be the uh, the impetus to get them up there, podium, potentially fighting for a win. Yeah, there's a, there's a guy on Reddit has produced a fantastic kind of pixel art graphic of all the uh, the, the lap times of the hypercars and kind of where they, they sit. It's his username. Hapax Legomenin. I think I've got that right. It's always difficult to read out usernames. Uh, yeah, but thank you for, to him for this graphic because it's great because it illustrates how tight the grid is, but also we've got the Isota kind of hanging off the back there. And at a glance, it looks pretty bad. It's sitting there out on its own. But then if you look at the 2023 Sebring 1000 qualifying times, it's no further back than the Glickenhaus and the Van Wall were. And they were not brand new cars. They are established teams that have been running those cars for a little while. So it's not actually any slower than those cars were. And it's their first time running. So there's going to be time left in that car. There's been a lot of people quite critical over how slow it was in the prologue. I don't really see an issue with it right now. Four seconds. We're used to Formula One times where, you know, the entire grid's a second and a half. Four seconds is not that much in WEC. And I think there's a lot of time left in that car. It's doing better than I expected, to be honest. Yeah, and I think to boot, as I mentioned, with the, it's the opposite of the Cadillac. I'd say they've probably got the weakest driver lineup in there. Um, I've seen a few a few comments on uh, Twitter slash X about, you know, the, the, the driver lineups there to allow the team to just say, you know what, yeah, the, the car's fine. There's a little bit in the drivers that they're leaving on the table. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they'll be fine. Um, they can't be any worse than, you know, Collis and uh, Glickenhaus were at times, I think. Uh, the Glickenhaus, as you say, last year, they're, they're about a similar pace off with the caveat that um, Big Jim stopped investing in that. So that car was a year old at the start of last season. Um, he realised he, could, he couldn't keep up with, with the hypercars now they were all coming in. Um, and yeah, it's a shame to lose them there. But hopefully, yeah, it's sort of Frischini can, uh, can be that privateer that, that mixes it with the big boys. Because it was great to see Jim on the podium at Le Mans. Let's, let's not forget. So, you know, I think it's a long way off for them, but it would be a, a fantastic story. I think now's the time that we get to start the rebellion return story. Maybe they're going to buy a Porsche 963 or something like that. We should start that rumour. If we if we start the rumour, we can manifest it and see some rebellions back in the top class. A couple more 963s, it's rapidly turned into Group C, isn't it? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Porsches with a couple of other manufacturers around the edges. It, it does. I'd, I'd quite like to see rebellion back or, or a Rizzi Ferrari at Oman or something like that. I know they've said, no, they're not going to sell it. And then they've immediately got an AF Corsa one running there's a discussion to be had there as well of whether that's a factory car or not that's a factory car it's let's a factory be honest car. Yeah, it's a factory car I'm, I'm glad we're all agreed on that because that is the <laughs> least custom like it's the ferrari factory team and all they've done is drop the word ferrari from the entry name and paint it it's even in the factory livery just exactly yeah, exactly <laughs> um okay pick a winner i'm gonna put you on the spot with that one uh, I'm going to go for the Cadillac. Oh, 
I'm actually going to go for one of the Ferraris, probably number 50. I think the Porsche will be faster and have hiccups. I think the Ferrari will have the smoothest race. It's kind of funny, actually, sitting, like, as Formula One fans, sitting saying Ferrari are going to have a smooth race. It's a weird sentence to be saying. But I think, I think the Ferrari are looking good. Yeah, it, it should be a great race. Do you think we could do something like, uh, so we've done a prediction for a winner. Can we t- top a, pick a top privateer as well? Because the 83 has got a good chance of beating the Jotas, who I would normally put as the top privateer. But I think the 83 has got a pretty good chance of being like on a podium or something like that outright, not just as a privateer. Yeah, I, I can't look past Jota, uh, especially that um, Button, Hanson, Rasmussen lineup. Um, yeah, they've got, They've got experience of the most experienced team with uh, the privateer team with that Porsche having had it since um, Spa last year, uh, round two or three, I believe, last mm-hmm. year. Um, and I think that will pay dividends. Uh, like I say, they've racked up the uh, the laps as well. So, yeah, I'm going to go for that uh, Jensen Button podium. There we go. Oh, I'm, I'm here for a Jensen podium. <laughs> I'm absolutely subscribing to that. I think, the, I think Joe are going to raise even more eyebrows this year because obviously they kind of outperformed themselves last year like running first at Le Mans comfortably on pace as well not just like oh we're we're leading on strategy comfortably running at the front in Le Mans comfortably keeping up with the Penske's and like Penske are like don't even know how to describe them other than the factory team they are like one of the big famous powerhouses and then you've got a privateer who have bought the cars off them running with them it's without the factory drivers as well. And I know the Pen- the Jota drivers are good, but it's they're not quite Porsche Penske uh, factory drivers. And they outperformed Penske quite a lot. There's going to be a few raised eyebrows if Jota can continue beating or matching Penske this year. I think you're right there. Um, but at the same time, I think at the beginning of last year, if you'd have learned that Jota had won the, the factory contract from any of these manufacturers, you'd have said, yeah, that's a good decision from the manufacturer. I'd say it's more of a surprise they didn't win a manufacturer contract there. And so, you know, I, I can't, I'm not too surprised that they're out there mixing it with the big boys. I mean, I think at Le Mans, they, the, the podium, what is it, 11 years out of 12 or something stupid like that, they're, they're, they're always there or thereabouts. And that's in LMP2 where the, the field is so tight. And the, and the only difference really is how well the team runs. And it's no surprise if they've, they've um, transferred those skills across the hypercar. It's a it's a good point actually about uh, getting a factory contract because obviously BMW have split that. They've got two separate teams operating the same cars, one in Europe and one over in the US. So there's an argument to be made that Penske probably shouldn't be spread as thin as they are. You could get Jota running the factory cars in Europe, for example. They've proven they're good enough. And having Penske still developing the car in the US, if you really want it, I imagine there will be raised eyebrows this year. Um, we'll see how that goes. And just look at the times as well. It's like you're kind of right. It's like you're sitting there with a the number twelve Jota, which was one tenth off of the fastest Penske. That's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. That shouldn't be like that. No, I mean you, you introduce traffic into that in a race situation. That, that there's no gap. You know, if the, yeah. the traffic and, and the lapping of the GT3s is going to be a, a huge there. So, yeah, time's on everything. Yeah. Right. GT3, this one just looks like a massive mixing pot that I don't really understand, other than the Aston seems very, very strong, which I have to admit surprises me. I know it's a new car, 
but it surprises me because it's the only manufacturer that's split across two teams. Every other manufacturer is a pair of cars, so it's kind of a split learning situation with, with only one car per team. I think it was the D-Station Aston which ended up top, and it looks really, really good. We, we obviously know it's a good car, even though it's brand new. It ran in uh, the 24, but the Aston's looking really, really strong off the bat. Yeah, I mean, Marco Sorensen in that car, he's an uh, Aston stalwart. It's not going to take him long to get up to speed in, in a new car there. Um, I think, like you say, they've, uh, they've officially launched it this week, I think, didn't they? Despite the fact it's already done something stupid like two or three races, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not surprised there. And like you say, the, it's, it's the GT3 melting pot, aren't we? We're, we're, we're back to proper GT3 cars. All these teams have have uh, experience of running GT3. It's a known formula. The BOP is generally pretty pretty good. So I'm not surprised on that one. Um but like you say, the fact that Aston has split it across two teams, that, that could be detrimental to them. But at the same time, you know, they've only got to focus on one car and getting that running. We're just talking about Penske being spread too thin. Maybe this is the flip side of that, the benefit they'll see from only running one car. The only other thing I could take from the GT3 times is it does look like there are some teams struggling a little bit. The Lamborghinis, Iron Links, Iron Dames cars were kind of nowhere on day two compared to day one. Uh, Team WRT, you'd never expect to see them struggling and they're sitting near the bottom of the timesheets. It does look like the BMW and the Lamborghini are a little bit off compared to the rest of them at the moment. Yeah, that is a surprise. Um, we'll have to see how that goes. Iron Dames, Iron Lynx, they were running Porsches for Iris last year. So I think that's new to them as well, isn't it, anyway? Um, but yeah. I mean, how far off are they? I'm just uh, looking at the times there. A couple of seconds, is that? Yeah, so WRT on day two. It was only six tenths, I suppose, but it's still... Yeah. Six tenths in GT3 is more than six tenths in hypercar, Mm. to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's it's WRT, BMW, GT3. The the three things are synonymous, really. So it, it is a surprise to see them not getting the maximum they can out of that already. Actually, the other one that's not listed there, because I've just brought up the, the entry list, is the Porsches. And those are Manti entered cars, and they don't feature in the top set of any of the sessions, really. That's quite surprising. This is kind of the issue that we've got here, is the GT3 field is now stacked with big names. These are big teams. Somebody is going to lose, and it's not going to look good for a big team that is used to winning. There's going to be a lot of dummies thrown out of prams here, I think. Yeah. And that's always been the concern, isn't it, when you're having a manufacturer-led um, um, class that only one team can win. Um, and at some point, everybody else is going to throw the dummies out of the pram. But again, like I say, GT3, it's a known series, it's a known formula, it's a known BOP. They'll, they'll get their heads around it. Um, I think... I think they'll they'll get they'll get there throughout the week. Uh, strong lineup. Obviously, you've got Rossi in the WRT as well which is um, probably going to take a lot of the focus anyway. I, I think no matter where they finish it, you're going to have a story with, uh, with Rossi. Yeah. The only other one, actually there's two others that are worth kind of mentioning. So we've got Aka ASP, their first time in WEC and first time with a Lexus because I think they've traditionally been a, a Mercedes AMG entry over in GT World Challenge and things like that. 
that car is looking really strong. I think I heard on the Sports Car 365 Double Stint podcast that it's a kind of evil car, but not an evil car or something. It's had upgrades, but not quite enough to slap an evil name on it or something. So it's looking good for its first outing. Yeah, I'd heard that Yeah, they would had some changes, some breaks, some changes to the BOP as well as going along with that. Um, obviously that's not been announced exactly what they were but I suspect they've had a couple of breaks because like I say that is a very old car now anyway um, but again they, they've now got a decent lineup, haven't they uh, from memory uh, yeah. yeah Van der Linder in one car and uh, Mr Lopez in the other yeah and the only other one that's really worth mentioning there's a few teams here that we know they're going to do well United Autosports and McLaren doing well AF Corsa Ferrari of course the one that's kind of standing out as really struggling is the new Mustang. Doesn't really feature anywhere uh, decently in the GT3 timesheets. Obviously, it struggled at Daytona a little bit. It wasn't really on the pace, and then it had all the issues with the rear deck at speed. I kind of want to see how this car does, but it's not looking great for its first outing in WEC. Yeah, Ford not having the look there that they had with the GT, is it? Or, you know, such a soft BOP. Um, yeah. Unless, unless they've got the same amount of sandbags that that GT had at the first few races, I, yeah, they, they could well be in trouble. And you could recreate the Dunkirk landings with the amount of sand in that GT in its first year. Um, the other thing that's kind of cool is it's the first proper factory... Uh, factory opposite it's the first proper privateer corvettes as well i know we've kind of seen them kind of ish before but it's the first time we've got proper privateer corvettes and it appears to be quite good as well tf sport at least with one car in the top half of the standings each time pretty good first outing for the first proper corvette gt3 yeah i mean tf sport strong team they've been around for a while now uh, traditionally with the aston um like i say moved over to the corvette Corvette again, strong car, strong development. Um, I think that's a good tie-up. They'll, they'll be a force to be reckoned with throughout the season. I don't think it's possible to really pick a winner out of the GT3s. Like it's never possible to pick a winner out of any GT3 class, to be honest. Like, but it's particularly ridiculous in this one. I don't even know who I'd go for. Probably if I had to pick one, the AF Corsa Ferrari, because it's a known car, it's a known team. Although the Aston looks like it might be faster, they're going to have hiccups in their first time running it and all that. I'm going to go with the Ferrari, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't think I can disagree with you on that one, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I'd say F, AF Corsa. It's, it's the old saying, isn't it? That the, it's not an official sports car race unless, unless there's an AF Corsa Ferrari running in it. They know what they're doing. Um, I'd, I'd be very surprised if they weren't there or thereabouts come the end of the, the race on Saturday. Yeah. I now kind of wrap up this episode a little bit. So I'll just do, oh no, actually there's one other thing we should talk about. Nobody likes talking about it. I think that's why it went out of my head. The circuit. So how have we had track limits penalties in a session where it's just testing? Like how have we ended up with, there was three cars with 10 minute penalties and six cars with five minute penalties. How do you get that in testing? It's testing for God's sake. It's, I don't know what it is about this track. Obviously, we had the at the F1 last year. We had massive track limits issues, didn't we? And the, that led to the, along with the tire life issues, led to a few changes even throughout the week. They were repainting curves and stuff like that to, to change the track limits. I don't know whether the track invites it or whatever. Um, but yeah, it'll be a shame to see if that carries on in the race. Where you know, 
we see penalties all the time for track limits. Um, I think we should um, put together an award for the first car to get a track limit penalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't like to take that bet. I think that'd be harder to pick than you know a winner in GT3. To be honest with you. I'm going to go for a GT3 car, just running less downforce in these corners that really suit downforce. I'm going to go for a random GT3 car, ends up with the first track limits penalty of the event, probably within the first two hours as well. It's going to get racked up quickly. It is. Um, I, th- I think for that one, I will go. I think I read, was there um, one of the Japanese teams who give permission to talk in um, Japanese to race control? Oh, I they think did. I read that. What entry is that? It might there might be two actually because I think it's the United Auto Sports number ninety five that has one Japanese driver in it. But I think D Station might have the same thing as well. They've also got another Japanese driver, and I'm sure I read somewhere that the person doing the translations is Take Nui, the yes. man who's famous for being run over by the safety car. It wasn't the safety car, but run over by a marshal's car. Is it the Hungaro Ring at Formula One nineteen ninety five? Yeah, so I, I think whichever car he's supporting, I think that's got to be odds-on favourite, hasn't it, to have some sort of track limits issue. It's just like, how do you end up with that? How do you end up with someone doing Japanese translations and it's Take Nui, who's almost like a cult icon? He's fantastic. Love yeah, it. I mean, master stroke from that team, getting him on board, I think. Kind of is. It's like, that's almost as big... <laughs> Bigger story is like the rest of it. I I love that he's involved because he's yeah. he's kind of ridiculous on Twitter as well. The stuff he posts is just brilliant. Yeah, forget Valentino Rossi. Where's Tacky maybe when you need him? Absolutely. <laughs> cool. All right, I think that'll wrap up. Um, just a nice short episode on this one, but we'll do a quick look forward with the racing lineup. We have obviously we've got WEC at Qatar first time opening round. That race is on the Saturday. We also have Formula 1, Formula 2 and Formula 3 at Bahrain for the first round of the F1, F2 and F3 seasons. The majority of those races are also on the Saturday, so there's not much going on on the Sunday for this one. Uh, Formula 2 and Formula 3 obviously have races on the Friday as well. All three top series will be at Las Vegas for this weekend's NASCAR. Winter Series is at Aragon. You've got Formula Winter, GT Winter, GT4 Winter, and the Prototype Winter Series all in action. They'll be racing on the Sunday, so if you're still wanting more prototype racing and single-seater racing, actually, after the WEC and Formula 1, then you've got the Formula Winter Series over on the Sunday. And that gives us 20 races with approximately 27 hours of race time. That's a lot of races to keep up with. So don't forget the racing lineup. We'll give you the start times for every one of these events in your time zone and a notification for each session. Don't miss out on any of it. Get the racing line from the App Store today.